which obviously has very much to do with Simha. In fact, it may be the most important part, the most important branch. If we expect to live a life of uninterrupted Simha. But we're going to start in a little bit of an odd place. I don't know that anybody who started the subject of emuna and bitahon started the way we're going to start. Because today we're not going to talk about emuna or bitahon. We're going to be discussing what the Torah taught us in Parashat Shemini. I'm going to read for you a little bit inside because I want you to appreciate it. And I need you to be a little patient so we can understand when you hear something, hold on, and we're going to explain it. Introducing the subject of kashrut, of forbidden foods, or things that we are allowed to eat. The Pasuk says, Daberu el bene Yisrael. Lemor, they said, speak to Bnei Israel, saying the following: Zot haHaya. This is the animal. Asher tochelu. That you sh- you're allowed to eat. Mikol habehema, Asher al haAretz. From all of the animals that are on the earth. These are the animals you're allowed to eat from all the animals. There are a lot of animals out there. And the Torah says you can only eat from these. What's interesting about this Pasuk is that the beginning of it and the end of it, which is talking about the same thing, but it uses two different words. It says, Zota Haya, which is the anim- these are the animals, Asher tochlu, that you should eat mikol ha from all the animals. It starts off with the word haya and ends with the word behema. But again, we're describing the same thing. These are the animals that you can eat from all the animals. Why in the beginning it's called, it calls them haya? Zot ha-haya. Comes Rashi, Allah shalom and brings a midrash. The Midrash says, by Mashal, it gives a story, a parable, to a doctor, cholim. You have a doctor that came in, and he has two patients in the ICU. He wants to visit them to see how they're doing. One of them, he sees, is doing very well, improving greatly. And one of them he sees is no shot. He's on his way out. He's going to die. So when he goes to talk to the patient 
who's doing well, he tells him, Ze tochal. You can eat from this food. Ze lo tochal. But don't eat from that. You can have sugar, you can have fats, you can have this, you can have that. Very, very specific diet of what that person is allowed to eat. The other fellows in the next bed listening, now he comes over to him. And he tells him, he says, you? Kol deba'e havule. Whatever it is that he wants to eat, give him. He tells him, I can have ice cream as long as much as you want. Fatty foods, no problem. Salt, sugar, you name it, you could have it. The other guy who feels better than this guy, he's all up in arms. You can't believe it. But when it came to him, he told him, No, you can only eat this, don't eat that. The other guy tells him, Eat whatever you want. Says the Gemara, what's the, what's, what's, what's the answer, obviously? The one that is not going to make it. So let him eat whatever he wants. It makes no difference. But if you still have a shot to live, so then you eat healthy so you can make it. And you can make it in a healthy way. Says the Midrash, Am Yisrael has a special type of neshama a special type of hayim, of life. And therefore, when it comes to a Jew, Hashem says, Zot ha This is what you need to eat in order to live. The rest of the world is also alive. But they don't need the same diet. Because they don't have the same level of hayim. They don't have the same level of life. Now that might sound strange to some people. Isn't life, life, what's the difference? What does that mean? How many different ways can a person be alive? You're either alive or you're dead. What does that mean? You could be this much alive or that much alive or even more alive. So the truth is we all know it's not true. What I just said is not true. For example, we all know, when I pray on Rosh Hashanah, just like you, in the Amidah I say, Zuchrenu lehayim. Hashem, please remember us this year to give us hayim, to give us life. So I want to ask you, when you asked for life, did you mean life on a respirator? Is that what you meant? Did you mean life in a coma? No. But wait, what do you mean? That's also life. Isn't a person in a coma, lo alenu, alive? Absolutely. They are alive. They're high. But you could all agree, and we could all agree, that's not the hayim that we were asking for. Even though that's alive, but they're alive in a very low level. Now, if you can actually breathe on your own, 
so you're alive a little more. And if you can move your arms and legs, so you're alive even more. And if you could talk and communicate and move around, you're alive more. And the more energy you have, you're alive more. The more talent you have, you're alive more. The more accomplishments you could do with yourself, the more you're alive. So life is not life or death. Of course, that's the entry level. You could be dead or alive. But in life itself, in Hayim, we should not be fooled that all life is equal because it's not. You can have life on a very low level and high, very high level and everything in between. Baruch Hashem, nobody here is in a coma. So nobody's living a very low life. But at the same time, I don't think we're living also the highest level of Haim. We're somewhere in between, climbing the ladder hopefully, to have a greater life. Parentheses for a moment, getting back to Simha. If we expect to have Simha in our lives, we're going to have to figure out how to reach the highest level of Haim. We cannot live a low level of, of, of Hayim and expect that this low level of Hayim is going to bring us a life of Simha. It's not going to happen. Close parentheses. What the Midrash is expressing is that Am Yisrael has a specific type of Hayim that is elevated from the other Hayim in the world. The Mishnah says in Perkei Avot, to some people who don't know the subject, this may sound like, really? I didn't know that. I never realized that. Could it be? But it's really what I'm telling you today is very elementary things, that we live by it every day. It just, we may not realize how clear the differences are. The Mishnah says in Perkei Avot, Haviv Adam Shenivra Betzelem. Beloved is the human that unlike the animals of the world that were created by God and were given a body, but they're missing one thing that humans have. It's called Selem, the image of God. A human, every human on the planet has a image of Hashem. That's why if the option would be, let's kill a thousand animals to save one human life, not a question. We would kill millions of animals to save one human life because one human life is worth more than all the animals in the world. Habib Adam, that's what the Mishnah is telling you, that Adam, just one man, is so fortunate or beloved that he was given something called Selim. He was given something called an image of God. Continues the Mishnah and says, Habibin Yisrael, Am Yisrael, is more Habib 
is more beloved, is more special. Because they are called, we are called Banim Ladonai Elohechem. Banim Atem. Banim means that we are the children of God. What does that mean? Everybody's the children of God. Everybody's the creation of God. It just means that we have a closer relationship, or better yet, a closer resemblance to God than the rest of humanity. There is a behemah, there is a tselem elokim, which is very special. We am Yisrael believe that there is something called olam haba, and olam haba is not only for the Jewish people. Olam haba is for every single tselem elokim. If a tselem elokim would keep the mitzvot of bene noah, they are called haside umot haolam, and they deserve olam haba. That's why you never saw in the history of Am Yisrael that they were missionaries trying to convert anyone to our religion. Because we don't say if you're not part of Judaism, then you can't succeed in life and you can't make it to eternity. We don't say that because it's not true. Because you, like Am Yisrael, also have Olam Haba. You just have to follow your rules. There are seven rules, seven mitzvot benenoah, and those mitzvot will earn you eternity if you keep them. Then there's something called a Yehudi. A Yehudi is something else. It's a different level of hayim. By the way, even in Yehudim there is levels. A Kohen is an, an even elevated level. This neshama that Hashem gave Am Yisrael, of course, anybody could choose to convert and be part of this neshama. But each and every Yehudi that's born has a special neshama. The Kuzari, he writes that they are five levels in the world. There's the domem, the inanimate. There's the tzomeah, the things that grow. There is the high animals. There's the medaber, that's the one who speaks. And then there's the Yehudi. It's a different level. Now this is not meant for us to go home and say, wow, so we could be arrogant. No, no, this is a big responsibility. If you're the son of the king, you may have a lot to be proud of, but you have a lot more to be responsible about. Hashem gave, just to explain to you what it, what it means to have the Kedushah of a Yehudi. If a Sefer Torah has shalom. would be on fire or risk of being burnt, one would not be allowed to be Mehalel Shabbat. 
to save a Sefer Torah. You let the Sefer Torah burn and you can't do anything. Even though you're supposed to rip when you see the Sefer Torah, but it's Shabbat, you can't do it. But if a Yehudi is in Safek Sakana, even a doubt of danger, one is Mehalel Shabbat. And the Yehudi doesn't have to be a Talmid Hacham, doesn't have to be a big tzaddik, doesn't have to be a person who is observing all the mitzvot the right way. Just by being a Yehudi, one would be able to mehalal Shabbat that he couldn't do for a Sefer Torah. That means the Kiddushah of a Yehudi is even higher than a Sefer Torah. We have a Neshama that is called Helek Eloah Mimma'al. Let me explain what that means. When Hashem gave Adam, when He gave humans, I don't want to go to Adam and Rishon now, it's a little complicated, and I don't have time to go into how this developed. But in short, every human, Hashem created him with His dibur, the breath that came out of His mouth, created the neshama of every human. But when it came to the neshama of a Yehudi, it was blown in. You know the difference between the amount of air that goes out of your mouth when you speak or when you blow? When you blow the air, a lot more of you comes out. Helek Eloah Mima'a means that the neshama of Am Yisrael has a much greater part of Hashem than any other Tselem Elohim. This, of course, was free choice, meaning no human was brought into this world with a neshama of a Yehudi or non-Yehudi. When Hashem created the world, after Adam Arishon and his sin, every single human had the ability to elevate themselves to become this elevated neshama and they were individuals from the time of Adam till Abraham Avinu I'm giving you a very brief history now each one of these requires a lot of detail but it's enough to move on in this class only until Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov when that neshama that they developed they developed a much closer connection to the creator of the world. And from and then Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, it became part of the DNA of their children. And we, Am Yisrael, have this special neshama called Nishmat Yisrael. And this neshama is able to elevate us to a different type of hayim. So therefore, just like we said, a person in a coma has the lowest level of hayim, of the physical life, so too as you keep elevating hayim, you're capable of so much more. When we, be, when we speak about simha, being something uninterrupted every day, all day, that capability is something that our neshama is able to do. 
to feel that elevated feeling of simha. It is within the, the neshama of a Yehudi to get there. That's what it means, zot ha When the Midrash came to explain why Hashem used the word zot ha instead of saying zot ha Instead of saying, this is the behema that you can eat. He says, Zota Haya. There Hashem is explaining to us why we have the laws of Kashrut. He didn't just give us the laws, which He does very often. doesn't have to explain Himself. But in this one, Hashem says, let me explain to you if you're wondering why is it that everybody in the world could eat whatever they want. What is the difference between me and them? How come they're allowed to eat that food and I'm not? Why could they drink that and I can't? What's the difference? Aren't we both human? Hashem says, Zota Haya. Haya means you have a Hayim, a level of Hayim that is much more elevated and the expectations are higher and the capabilities are more, and in order to run this machine called Nishmat Yisrael, if you want to run it on a high level, you need to feed it a certain diet. If you don't feed it the right diet, it will not go. It's like trying to feed a car gasoline that's not made for the car. It may feel like you filled up the car, And it may even work, and it may even drive, but you're not using it to its capacity. A car that has a specific type of oil or gas needs that in order to be able to be fully productive. Hashem says to us, you, Am Yisrael, have Hayim on a much higher level, and therefore you need a certain type of diet. Zot Ahaya. It's interesting, by the way, that all the mitzvot give us hayim. Every one of the 613 mitzvot give us life. Each and every one of them is an injection of a different type of branch of life. But yet, we don't find this lashon, Zot Ahaya, by all the mitzvot. We find it by kashrut. Which sounds like specifically by the foods that we eat is the greatest preparation for Hayim that we can have in our lives. You'll soon see why this has so much to do with Simha and so much to do with Emunah and Bitahan. The Mefarshim struggle to understand what is the difference between a kosher animal and a non-kosher animal. Kosher food, non-kosher food. What's the difference? So some wanted to say it was a health issue. That the animals that are kosher are healthier to eat. Ones that are not kosher is not healthy. And it could be there's some truth to that. There is some documented truth about certain types of animals that may not be so healthy to eat and maybe cause disease and so on. The Abar Banel and many others clearly reject this idea that kashrut has to do with physical health. 
The Abar Banel says, really, when you eat non-kosher, there's something wrong with the health of the person? He says, Our eyes see, All the nations of the world, they eat whatever they want. He says, Shmenim, they're meaty, Beriim, they're healthy, they're having cheeseburgers day and night, they're eating steaks and all types of foods, crabs, whatever, you name it. And they're strong, they're jogging miles a day, they're running marathons, they're doing great. You're going to tell me, says El, that people who don't eat kosher, they're losing their health because of it? He says, and if it's so, if really, he says, non-kosher food is unhealthy, he says, there is also some food that's kosher, it's also unhealthy. If this was a health issue, the Torah would tell us to stay away from even some kosher things that aren't healthy for us. There are certain herbs that are poisonous or certain things that are dangerous for the person. If it's about a health issue, if the Torah is giving us dietary laws of health, there are plenty of things that the Torah didn't speak about that also should have been mentioned. By the way, don't eat those. The Akedat Yitzhak says, besides that, he says, the Pasuk says, V'rahamav al kol ma'asav. Hashem has compassion on all of His creations. Yehudim and Goyim alike. These are all his children. If in fact the kashrut or lack of kashrut is a health issue, he says, wouldn't he make them part of the shiva mitzvot b'nei Noah? Wouldn't he warn the goyim of the world, stay away from these foods because they're dangerous. Hashem has compassion. These are his children too. His creation. Why wouldn't he tell that to them? Therefore, the Abar Banel and many others, they explain that the laws of Kashrut have nothing to do with health. Again, there might be certain types of things that are true in the health arena that might be affected. But that's not what the Torah is intending when it came to Kashrut. And the Abar Banel says beautifully, if you look in the Torah, the Torah says, Venitmetembam. The word Tum'ah has nothing to do with health. Tum'ah is spiritual. The Seforno says, Ve'asar etam When Hashem told Am Yisrael not to eat certain foods, to eat only kosher, he says, he answered, Hametameim et hanefesh bemidot muskalot. He says, non kosher affects the character and the neshama of the person. It's not a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue that affects our character and the way we think and the way we view the world and our simha, anything that has to do with neshama. Remember, we said simha belongs from, is, is coming from the neshama. Well, to have a healthy goof, you don't have to eat kosher. 
But to have the healthy neshama that's going to give you a life of simha, you're going to have to keep your neshama healthy. There is no other way to keep this neshama healthy unless you eat the right diet. That's why the Ramban says that many of the birds that Hashem told us not to eat, hasiman hagadol, he calls it, the great sign for birds. The Torah did not give for birds the sign. He just told us which birds not to eat. But the Ramban says, the great siman, if we look all the birds, they're not kosher. He had derisa, they trample. Shekol of hadores, any bird that tramples others and kills other birds, who tameh. Why? He says, because Hashem doesn't want that in our bloodstream. Doesn't want the midah of that bird, the cruelty of that bird, bird inside our body. The Mesilat Yesharim says, listen to these words. He says, Ma'achalot asurot, non-kosher, yeterot baze al kol ha-isurim, which means there's something in kashrut in a negative way that outweighs all the other averot. Kevan shehem nichnasim begufo shel ha'adam mamash. Because they're becoming a part of the person's body. Vene'esim basar mi besaro. They become a part of your being. Like the famous saying, you are what you eat. Which means that when you eat something, it's more than when you do something wrong. When you do something wrong, definitely it affects your neshama. And definitely is not healthy for the soul. But when you eat something, it becomes part of your soul. And becoming part of your neshama is way more damaging, says the Mesilat Yesharim, than what you do to your soul. That means every food that we eat has its physical properties and has its DNA of spirituality. Every food that we eat, while we don't see the spirituality in that food, there is something in that food that is spiritually coming into your neshama. Just like there is food that comes in the body that's not healthy, there's food that comes to the neshama that's not healthy. That's why the Torah refers to not kosher as tum'ah. Tum'ah has nothing to do with physical. Tum'ah has to do with neshama. The Ramak, Ramoshe Cordovero, 500 years ago, writes that the reason why the previous generations had more clarity in understanding Torah and maybe even life, he says, was because they were more ser nefesh to eat kosher. Let me explain what that means. They were Moser Nefesh. Moser Nefesh means they had to sacrifice to eat kosher. I don't know exactly what he means, but I could tell you that eating kosher a hundred years ago 
was a big sacrifice. Because to be able to find the butcher, or better yet, the shohet, because remember, you didn't have a freezer to store your meat. So when you wanted to have meat, so you needed to go find someone to shech the animal. And after you found the shohet and you brought in the animal, just imagine you're having barbecue for dinner. This is what you would need to do. You would have to find the, the guy to shohet. You have to take the meat. This is any, everything I'm telling you now. Our grandmothers, even some of our mothers did that. They would take the meat and they would have to salt it. Salting has many halachot of how to salt meat because one of the ma'achalot asurot that people don't realize, one of the forbidden foods is blood. While nobody drinks blood, but many people eat blood because blood comes with the animal that you slaughtered. Unless you do a process called salting, that requires a lot of time and a lot of different ways of how to make sure it's done properly, you're not getting the blood out of the meat. Now your grandmother, my mother and grandmother and great-grandmother, they had to spend hours a day salting their meat till they actually got to barbecue that steak. It would take them an entire day so they could eat a piece of kosher meat. From the shahet all the way down to the end. There was mesirut nefesh. They could have easily gone to the neighbor and cut a piece of meat from their animal or taken the meat and just put it on the fire and cook it. But it was mesirut nefesh. That means... My great-grandmother and yours, when they ate a piece of meat, that took them a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of time, took a lot of effort. And guess what? It was a reminder every moment, by the way, that they were Jewish. Every day, every single time they cooked. They didn't have to, they weren't able to go. It wasn't like going to the supermarket and going to the kosher section. It wasn't that easy. It wasn't so simple. Everything where they lived, I mean, in general, the world didn't have packaging. But especially where Jews lived throughout the world for the last 2,000 years, everything had to be made at home. The ingredients had to be checked. Everything started from scratch. From the beginning, Bereshit, Barai, look, you got to start. Anything you want to make, you got to start from scratch. If you want to make Yevra, you got to buy grape leaves and you got to make sure they're clean. You got to make sure they're done right. Everything from beginning. There was no ingredient that you bought ready kosher. There was no kashrut in Syria. There was no kashrut in Iraq. There was no kashrut in Morocco. No such thing. Everything from beginning to end had to be watched, had to be clean, had to be done right. A woman a hundred years ago had to be extremely knowledgeable of the laws of kashrut, because she would use it every single day. Today, that mesirut nefesh is no longer available to us. Because all we have to do 
is just look at the label. That's really all it is. I guess there's a level of mesirut nefesh because you have to look at the label and maybe you have to pay a little more. And maybe it's not so comfortable sometimes because there's a store closer by. And maybe sometimes you're out of town. It's harder to bring food with you. There definitely is, even in our time, a level of mesirut nefesh. But you can't compare the mesirut nefesh of the older generation, what they did to make sure they ate kosher. There were no restaurants 100 years ago. People didn't have, not kosher ones. People couldn't go out to eat kosher. That was impossible. Your grandmother, my grandmother never ate in their life outside the house. Not because they didn't want to. It wasn't even available. That means dinner, lunch, every single day of the week. They ate home. Oh yeah, there was a great falafel stand down the block. But they couldn't eat from there. Misirut nefesh meant they couldn't have a day off from cooking in their kitchen because it wasn't possible to eat anywhere else. Misirut nefesh by each family to keep kosher. Says the Ramak, that misirut nefesh, when you're moser nefesh, when you give of yourself to eat kosher, he says, it brought them clarity in learning. Today you open up. It's hard for you maybe to appreciate this. Today we have so many Talmudah Hachamim. You have no idea how many people are learning Torah here in America, in Israel, in other places around the world. But till today, for hundreds of years, we weren't able to make one great rabbi like Rabbi Akiva Ega. Now, again, it's hard for you to appreciate this, but anyone learning Torah, learning Gemara, opens up a book of Rabbi Akiva Ega, who lived about 250 years ago, say, wow, we have no one like that today. Yeah, but I don't say, in Rabbi Akiva Ega's time, I don't know how many people were learning full-time like today. I don't think as much. I'm pretty sure it wasn't as much. People had to work to make live. They couldn't. They couldn't learn. How are they supposed to learn? People don't have extra money to give out. People were living from hand to mouth. They couldn't learn all day. We see even in the Gemara, Tanaim and Emoraim were working just to be able to pay the bills. The great Hillel had to pay. Had to work. Had to chop wood so he could bring food to the table. People didn't have the luxury of sitting down and learning, and somebody either helping them to pay the bills. Or somebody else in their family. It wasn't like that. In Iraqi Vegas time, there weren't that many Talmudah Hachamim that were learning all day. But yet you open this book and you say, this man, there's no one even close to him today. No one even close to such chokhmah, such clarity. How could it be from all the tens of thousands today? We couldn't find one. Says the Ramak, I'll tell you why. Because in those days, they were Moser Nefesh for Kashrut. What Kashrut? What, what does that have to do with Torah learning? What did he come up with that? If I randomly gave you that statement without the introduction of this class, you would say, what is the Ramat talking about? Because they were sacrificing for Kashrut, so now they're able to understand Torah better? 
They have more clarity in the Gemara they're learning. What is he talking about? But at least today with our introduction, we have a little understanding. Because when you sacrifice for Kashrut, you're not just sacrificing for the kosher. You're sacrificing, you're feeding your soul. And when you feed your soul food with sacrifice, it makes a difference in the very essence of who you are. So when you sit down to learn, you're a different person. Your neshama is clearer. You're able to see things and understand things. You have more patience to learn. Your midot are different. Like the Sephorno says, at the end of the day, learning Torah has very much to do with midot, our character. Derech Eretz, Kadmala Torah. Before you can understand Torah, you have to have Derech Eretz. You have to have calmness. You can't be an angry person and learn Torah. You can't be a cruel person and learn Torah. All the beautiful midot, the midah of hasad, the midah of humility, all these beautiful midot are a prerequisite for learning Torah. Why? Because the midot of a person is his neshama. And the quality of our neshama is going to determine what we're able to do with that neshama. That's why we say, in every one of our holiday tefillot, in the Amidah, we start off like this. Ata behartanu mikol ha'amim. Ata behartanu means, Hashem, you chose us from all the nations, as was mentioned today. Every time you say, Ata behartanu, now you understand what that means. Ata behartanu means, from all of humanity, Hashem chose Am Yisrael for this elevated responsibility. Ahavta otanu. We say, you loved us. Meaning, there's a reason why you chose us. It wasn't a lottery. It wasn't prejudice. It wasn't a bias. It wasn't like that. Ahavta otanu. You saw something in us that you loved us. What is it that Hashem saw in us? What did he see in us that he loved us? The Hafez Hayim says, Hashem saw in our avot. That's why we always mention Elohi Abraham, Elohi Yitzhak, Elohi Yaakov. Every time we talk to Hashem in our Amidah, we first say Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Why? Because it, they're the pipe that was built for us to be able to swim with them. What did Hashem see in them? Why did he love them? They didn't have the Torah. He didn't give them the Torah. So why did he love them for? He loved them because of their beautiful midot, of their character, their busha, their hesed, their patience, their love of people. All the beautiful midot, humility, all the things that we know are beautiful, that was who our avot were. And that's the DNA of each and our, each and every neshama of every Yehudi. That neshama, that neshama, that beautiful neshama is capable of living a Torah life. A Torah life is not simple to live. You need a lot of tools for that life. You need to have derech eretz. But it's interesting, by the way, in that tefillah of Atta Behart, or we say, 
אתה אהבת ורומנתנו מכל הלשונות וקידשתנו במצוותיך. השם אהב אותנו, that Hashem give us that have Kiddushah. So, what do you mean? All of them. All the mitzvot have Kiddushah. That's why every time we say Beracha, Asher Kiddushanu b'mitzvotav. Hashem gave us Kiddushah through His mitzvot. Yet, if you would open up the Rambam, the Rambam wrote many, many books on every single subject in Judaism, those that are relevant today and those that may not be relevant, volumes, that whole section over there is all the Rambam. The Rambam wrote books and he divided them into categories. Yada Hazaka is the name of his book on Halakha. Yad is 14. 14 different categories that he divided them. For example, Zemanim. Zemanim means the different seasons, different times. In there you'll find Hilchot Shabbat, Hilchot Yom Tov, Hilchot Rosh Hashanah, Zemanim. There's other subjects. There is one category Interesting. One category, and you could pass by later to see it. There's one category in there. If you look in the book, in the category, it says, this book discusses Kedusha. Holiness. Now, if I told you Zemanim right away, if I asked you, what's in Zemanim? You would say, Shabbat, holidays. You knew that already. I saw some of you were saying it as I was saying it. But if I would tell you, okay, so what's in Kiddushah? Like what subjects are in Kiddushah? What's in there, Kiddushah? What's in Kiddushah? Which item is Kiddushah? They're all Kiddushah. Which one is specific to Kiddushah? Says the Rambam. Sefer Hamishi. The fifth book that I'm going to write. He says, in this book, which is called Kiddushah, I'm going to write about two subjects, only two. In all of Kiddusha, there's only two subjects that deserve this honor of this category. Kiddusha is Hashem. Hashem is Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's how we describe God. So what brings Kiddusha, what brings the Kadosh of Hashem into my Neshama? Says the Rambam, only two. Nothing else. What is that? Biot asurot. That's morality, physical relationships, men, women, who you can marry, who you can't marry, who you can be with, who you can't be with. That one category, that's one subject. And the other one is ma'achalot asurot, kashrut. That's all you're going to find in Kiddusha. Says the Rambam, why only these two 
belong in Kedusha. Says the Rambam, Lefi, Shebishne Enyanima Elu. Because it's in these two areas. Kideshanu Hamakom, Hashem sanctified us. Vehivdilanu Mina Umot, Ba'arayot Ubemaachalot Asurot. And he quotes Pesukim in the Torah. For example, when it talks about Kashrut, Hashem talks about Kedusha. When it talks about Biot Asurot, talks about Kedusha. So you see what Dramak was saying. Dramak was saying the reason why their clarity in learning was greater because they had more Kedusha. Had to get more Kedusha. What were they doing? Oh, they were eating kosher. But they weren't just eating kosher. They were doing it with everything that they have. They were sacrificing for kashrut. Not everything we do, even if we eat kosher, but if we sacrifice for it, it's a different level of kosher. When you do something and the other person looks like they're doing the same thing, it may not be. Because for them, it may have come at a greater cost. Sacrificing for kashrut is a big deal. It's a game changer for the neshama, of what that neshama is, what the hayim of that neshama is. And by the way, even today we have mesirut nefesh by kashrut. The ones I mentioned for sure, but even today, there's all types of, we'll call them nonsense, from, a, from the outside it looks like nonsense, but it's reality. People suffer from peer pressure, people suffer from social pressure, People suffer from all types of things that make it harder for them to eat kosher, even when everything is available to them. It's so easy today. Today it's hard not to be kosher. But yet, Hashem will always find a way to put a person in a challenge. He'll make everything so easy, and yet it could be so hard. So, I don't want to take away the credit that we have as well. Because in some circles, it is not so easy to eat kosher. It's not so easy to keep kashrut 100%. So therefore, we must realize that it makes a big deal. Going to a class of simha and trying to achieve simha and not eating kosher is like trying to drive a car with water as your gasoline. It's not going to work. And you'll say, what, 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 what's the connection? What are you talking about? It's a big connection. Because what you eat becomes your neshama. And your neshama cannot handle that type of diet. And simha comes from your neshama. So you can't expect a neshama that isn't getting its nutrients to show you it's simha. Not going to happen. There was once a mother. We mentioned Rekhi Vega before. A mother came to Rekhi Vega 250 years ago. With tears. That her seven-year-old son. Has suddenly lost his desire. To study Torah. Now. I'm not sure how much a seven-year-old is capable of learning, but sometimes you see young children, innocent, five, six, seven, 
they have this love for Torah. They may not understand it. They may not understand why they're learning it, but they have like this natural connection to it. It's Kiddushah. This kid had it. Some kids maybe have a hard time from the beginning. But this kid had it. He was all in. Just the other day, I was by somebody's house. He told me, you see this boy? This boy today is an older young man. He's a beautiful, beautiful person. This boy, when he was seven already, he just wanted to sit and read books. He didn't know what he was reading. But he just want, he had like a connection. He wanted to be in Bet Knesset. Not every kid's like that. But this boy was like that. So this boy was very into it. And all of a sudden, one day, cold, stop. She's coming to her big Kiva Ega. say, ah, I don't have to my son. He's seven years old. He lost his love for learning. So Rakhivega thought for a moment and he told her, oh, he says, has to be, he ate not kosher. She told him, Rabbi, please, our house is kosher, everything is kosher, everything I do is kosher. That's not an option. That's not one of the options. Look, give me something else, as if it's like a, you know, a multiple choice. Give me something else. And I said, no. If he lost at this age, I don't know if he would say for every single person, I can't tell you that. Maybe there are other causes when you get older. But if this boy, seven years old, lost his desire to learn Torah, if he lost that connection to Torah, he ain't not kosher. Okay? The rabbi said, the rabbi said, she goes home, she has emunat hachamim, she's trying to figure out what could be not kosher. She looks in her kitchen, she sees everything, everything is kosher, everything is kosher, everything is great. Where she buys the food from, kosher. What she gets, the ingredients, kosher. Everything is kosher. Her pots are kosher. She can't figure it out. They don't go out to eat. It's, it's not. And then she realized that they had attended a wedding. In one, one of the families in the city had a wedding. And there's a certain shohet in the city that was disqualified from being a shohet. Not something that happens even today sometimes. And obviously because he's disqualified, he still wants to make parnasa, but nobody wants to buy his meat, so he sells it at a discount. Cheap. And this family, they went to attend their wedding, bought meat from that shohat, and they went to that wedding, and her son ate from the meat. So she found the nikuda. She went back to Rocky Vega. She asked her, what did she do? I'm not going to go to the rest of the story. This is unbelievable. I have to tell you this. This is unbelievable. I wish you could read this inside with me. And I don't think I'm going to be able to read it myself. Because it will take too much of your time. There is a teshuvah. A letter. From the Rambam. The Rambam as you know, was a luminary. He was a giant in his time. He was a known giant to every Jew in the world and many Goim as well. Rambam was a very big man. And people sent him letters from all over the Jewish world asking him his opinion, asking him questions on different subjects. One of the letters he got from a certain Jewish community and they asked him certain questions about emunah. 
בתחיית המתים, דאסתם. הרמב״ם didn't want to answer the question himself. He gave it to somebody else to write an answer for them. He accuses them by saying that there's something wrong. If they ask that question, he says, something wrong with your neshama. He says, Im ken, en nishmatan nimshach mibbenei Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov. He says, I suspect from this question that you're asking me that your neshama is not from Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. Can't be that someone who comes from Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov here it wasn't an individual, it was a whole city asking. So it can't be, something's wrong with you guys. He writes, I'm skipping to the bottom. He says, let me get the part that's most relevant to us. From your words, I see, from your questions, I see you a bunch of kofrim. He says, you deny the words of Hazal, Torah Shabal Peh. He says, Im ken, lo nizhartem me'achilat isur u'dvarim temeim. He says, it must be, you guys are not kosher, you're not eating kosher, you're not careful in what you put in your mouth. Ve'hasechel, ve'hada'at shelachem, and therefore your mind Means the blood that's circulating inside your body is blood that has its source in all the wrong areas of kashrut. And he goes to describe to them how the blood affects the person. I'm not going to go through it. The Hatam Sofer, who in his time, the reform movement, began, he writes, he writes that the apikorsut, when a person talks nonsense, doesn't, doesn't have emunah, it's because he ate nevelot Now, of course, let me explain. Not everyone who doesn't have emunah is because he didn't eat kosher. It could be the person didn't learn, doesn't know. We're not talking about that. Some people don't know anything. You teach them, they learn. But sometimes you talk to a person and you teach them and it's clear day and night. You explain to them and they still reject it. They live around it and they still don't buy into it. You're talking to people clear. There's nothing to talk about. You show them black and white. Just like and nobody in this room would disagree that this table was created by somebody. Someone made this table. Nobody in this room is going to believe me if I say, this table, you have no idea how it happened. There was once a garbage area in the back of this building. There was some metal there. There was some plastic. There was some wood. There was some paint. This big hurricane came, flipped everything around, fire burning. The, 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 the paint splashed. You're not going to believe it. He walked out and he said, wow, look at this table with four legs, hinges, plastic on top. You all would laugh. What are you talking about? That's silly. Come on. Nobody expects me to. Nobody expects 
anyone to believe such ridiculous things. That door was made by accident. Stop. What are you saying? You could talk to someone in the world of neshama, of emunah, so clear, much clearer than the table. And they'll be like, hmm? What, why are you saying, what are you talking about? It's clearer. If you don't believe this table happened by itself, you think the earth came by itself? You think that the apple happened by itself? You think your eyes just happened on the planet? What are you saying? What does that mean? That you don't understand. What's there not to understand? You have to have a lot of emunah to be a kofir. To be a kofir, you have to have emunah. You have to say, what, what, what do you say? It's clear. Certain things may not be so clear. It needs to be explained. But there are many things that are clear. And you could talk to a person and people say, wow, I got that. Yeah, makes sense. And some people, with all the clarity, nothing. Says the Hatam Sofer, like the Rambam says. If there is such a reaction, it has to do with the food that the person is eating. Rambam writes in the end of Hilchot Ma'achalot Asurot, the end of the Kashrut laws, he has many chapters, many halachot on Kashrut. He writes in the end, the last halacha, Perek Yudzayin Halacha Lamedbet, the 17th chapter, 32nd halacha, he writes, Vekol Hanizhar Bedevarim Elo, anyone who is careful in what they eat, mevi kedusha v'tahara yetera lenafsho. He's bringing holiness and purity into his soul. Sometimes you see, even a little child sometimes could be sometimes cruel, sometimes rough, sometimes coarse in the way they speak. He says the Rambam, you want to bring purity into your life. Kiddushan to your life, watch what you eat. And he brings a pasuk, Vehit Kedoshim. Says the pasuk in Tehilim. Listen to this pasuk. Many of you have said Tehilim, I'm sure you've said this pasuk, but you probably never paid attention to it. Says David Amelech, Laasot Retzonecha Elohai Hafatzti. I have a desire to do the right thing. Hashem, I have a desire. To be close to you. To do your will, Elohai, Hafatsti. I want to do your will. I have a desire to do what you want. And your Torah is inside my intestines. Did you ever hear the most ridiculous thing in your life? That a Torah could be inside someone's intestines. Since when the Torah entered the intestines? Say the Torah is in my mind. Say the Torah is in my heart. The Torah techa betoch me'ai. If this wasn't printed in every Tehillim book, you would say it's a mistake. Torah, says David Amalek, your Torah is in my intestines. What does that mean? Food goes into your intestines. Not, not Torah. Says the Ora Hayim Kadosh in Parashat Haremot. 
that every food that we eat has in it, like we mentioned today, he calls it helikatov, something good for the neshama. And when we eat the right foods, betoch me'ai, your Torah, where did David Melech develop the desire and the strength to do the right thing no matter what was going on in his life? Where do you get that? You know, yeah, sometimes you see this person has a desire to do the right thing and this one, eh, and this one, the opposite desire. And you wonder what happened? Are these three people, are they brothers? Are they cousins? Are they from the same community? What, what's going on? This guy is fire. He just wants to do it. And this one, I can't tell you it's always. But David Amir says, I can tell you where my Ratzon came from. My Ratzon came from betoch me'ai. It, and my Torah came from my food. If you look at my intestines and you see what's inside there, you'll find where I got my Torah, my desire to do Ratzon Hashem. The Esra of Shach, you know, in Israel, as well as America, but especially in Israel, there's a lot of Balet Shuvah. People who grew up completely secular. They didn't have the value of this community that we have. We have to be thankful to Hashem that we have a community that even the most furthest person is somewhat connected. But in Israel, a person can grow up secular, have zero connection, nothing, zero. They don't know nothing. Not from Shema Yisrael, not from Modeani. They don't know Kippur. They don't know Sukkah. They don't know anything. It's unbelievable that there could be such a reality. 100, 200 years ago, never dreamed that a Jew could be growing up with such zeroness in his life of Judaism. But there are such people, a lot of them. But Baruch Hashem is also Baal Teshuvah. A lot of people making Teshuvah. They went to ask the great Rav Shach, the great Rosh Hashim Rav Shach. They asked him, here's a, here's a guy, completely secular. He went to a seminar, he got connected to a rabbi, something. And he has some little, little fire inside of him. He wants, he's interested. But obviously, he's not ready for Nasir and Ishma. He's not ready to say, okay, I'm ready. Give me the whole thing, I want to start. He's not ready for that. But he'll do one thing. He'll do one thing. What would we tell him to do? This is a big response to this question. I can never answer this question. You can never answer that question. Is it a Jew that says, I'm ready to do one thing? What do you tell him to do? If I had to guess, me? If he would have asked me, I would have said, come to learn. Let him come learn every week. Once a week, come to the shiur. The logic is simple. You come to learn, you start realizing more things. And then you realize more things, and then you see that you could do more. It's very simple. That's my solution. If you told me learning now, maybe not that one, I would say Shabbat. Keep Shabbat. Once a week, declare your emunah in the creator of the world who created the world in seven days. Shabbat is mekora bracha, the source of blessing, not only physical blessing, also spiritual blessing. That's, that would be my second choice. And I probably would have another ten choices. But that's why I'm not Rav Shach. Because when they went to ask Rav Shach, Rav Shach says, the one thing they should take on is to eat kosher. 
He could, that, literally, that would have been like number 250 in my list. Not because I don't see the value of Kashrut. I don't see how this guy, who is completely secular, is going to get anywhere from eating kosher. You mean because he eats the kosher steak instead of the non-kosher steak? That's going to change his life. This guy needs much more than kashrut. He needs emunah, he needs Torah, he needs Shabbat, he needs Hagim. He needs everything. What does that mean? He needs all the laws, Tarata Mishpacha. Kashrut? Yes. Says Rashach, yes. Because if you eat kosher, your neshama starts to open. But if you're not eating right, you could be thrown information day and night. You could be taught Torah, keep Shabbat, but your neshama is not able to catch the hayim that it's being given. That when we speak to someone of Torah and mitzvot, we're talking to them on an elevated hayim. When we speak shiva mitzvot ben enoah, you could talk to anybody about that. You speak about Torah, mitzvot, you're talking to a level of neshama that's much more elevated. But if the person is not eating right, zota haya. This is how you get hayim. If you're not eating right, you won't be able to catch it. And there's a there's a famous story. Rav Palm writes this in his book, Allah Shalom, about a pianist, a world-renowned pianist. I don't know how long this was. It must have been 50, 60 years ago. That he took out an insurance policy on his fingers. You hear something? People take insurance policy on their homes, on their cars, on their life. This guy took an insurance, imagine someone tells you, I'm taking an insurance policy on my ankle. What? What are, what are you talking about? Your ankle? He took an insurance policy, millions of dollars, on his fingers. Somebody asked him, an insurance policy on fingers? He said, let me tell you something. He says, what's special about me is my fingers. If I lose my fingers, I become like every Joe in the street. I got to protect my fingers. And a Yehudi has to think the same way. The biggest commodity we have is our neshama. We need to protect it to make sure that whatever goes inside that neshama is checked well, is done right. And even if it requires misirut nefesh, sometimes it does. Sometimes you can't eat out. And even in the world of kashrut, not everyone who puts a kosher sign on this still is kosher. See, sometimes a guy puts kasher. Who? Who, who put that? Who, was be, who, who gave you certification? Not to suspect people, but it's a business out there. It's a world of business. People want to make money. Obviously, kosher food is more expensive. Much easier to cut corners. Not every kashrut is kosher. And sometimes it means traveling with food. And sometimes it means not traveling at all. 
And sometimes it means staying home for Pesach. And sometimes it means all the things that we know. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it means not going with your friends for dinner. And sometimes it means not eating with somebody in business. There are sacrifices, even in our time. <coughs> not like your great-grandma. No, not that much. Your great-grandma would laugh at you today. She'd say, this is sacrifice? Are you, are you serious? This is called sacrifice? Because you have to take an extra bag with you on the airplane? That's the sacrifice? What's your sacrifice? Your great-grandma would look at you and say, what are you, what are you talking about? She would never understand what exactly you're sacrificing. But with all credit to her, we're here and we have sacrifices. And for us, it is a sacrifice. This is Hayim. That's why, when was this parasha given? The parasha of Kashrut. When was it given? At what point in the Torah did Hashem tell us about Kashrut? The first, the first time we practiced Avodah in the Mishkan. The Mishkan, they needed to collect money. After they went into the, into the they got the Torah, they built a Mishkan, they collected the money, they put it all together, and now it was time for the Kedusha of Am Yisrael, for Hashem, Veshachanti Betocham, Veasulim Mikdash. Hashem said, make the Mikdash, and I, will re- and I will reside amongst you. The first Parashat Shemini is Vayhi Vayom Shemini. This was the inauguration of the Mishkan. The Kiddushah of Am Yisrael came during that parasha. The first thing Hashem says, Kashrut. This is the first commandment after Hashem says, I'm bringing down my Kiddushah. Now I want to tell you that we have a great opportunity this Pesach. <coughs> because the Zohar calls the Matzah it's called Mechla Dimhemenuta. The matzah is called the food of Emuna. I don't know what that means. I'm not a Kabbalist. But it means that matzah is not regular kosher food. Whatever we spoke about in the negative of things that aren't kosher. There seems to be something in matzah that's not, not just kosher. Matzah is a food of emunah. The lashon of the Zohar is the ihi asvata. It's a refuah. Lemeal ul minda beraza dehemenuta. Which means it gives you the ability to know the secrets of emunah. That means eating matzah on Pesach, if you eat it with understanding its value and you eat it right, and you eat it with the right approach, with the right seriousness, you have the opposite effect of ma'achalot asurot. Perhaps it's even a repair of ma'achalot asurot. Matzah and Pesach. That's why Hazal tell us 
When Am Yisrael left Mitzrayim, they went with Emunah after Hashem. Lechtech aharai bamidbar be'eretz lo zeru'ah. Am Yisrael went with tremendous Emunah. Ve'gam tzeda lo asulahem. They didn't even prepare any packages for the road. They had such Emunah in Hashem. Where did they get the Emunah from? The Sfarim, right? From the eight Matzah. The Matzah they ate, it gave them the ability to bump up their Emunah. Also, when a person has emunah, he starts to sing. That's why in the seder, if you notice, we say the halal after we eat the matzah. We say the magid, we say the magid, talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but then we stop and we eat. And after that, we start saying the halal. Halal nirzah, magid, and then halal. Why? Because first you have to have emunah. They had emunah in Hashem. What happened? As Yashir Moshe. Then the simha of the neshama comes. Emunah brings simha. Matzah brings emunah. That's the order of the seder. I will end off by telling you there's one more thing about kashrut that it's critical for us to know. I'm going to give you a Gemara from Masechet Pesachim. Right before Pesach. It's the right time for this Gemara. Nothing to do with Pesach. The Gemara says that when Hashem told Adam Harishon Vekotz vedardar tatzmiyah lach veachalta et esev hasadeh Hashem told Adam after the sin, listen, you're going to have to eat from the ground. You're going to have thorns growing out of the ground and you're going to eat from the grass of the field. Says the Gemara, he started to cry. Adam Arishon started to cry. Amar lefanaf, ribono shel olam, master of the universe, ani vahamori nochal be'ebus ehad, me and my hamor, me and my donkey, me and my cow, we should eat in the same restaurant. Could you imagine? You go to a restaurant and you see Betsy the cow sitting down next to you. They say, I'm sorry, hold on, the tables are all taken. There's a group of cows waiting to finish. Would you feel comfortable in that place? Would you say, oh wow, I'm just in the right place? Let me wait for the squirrels to move on before I go. You're laughing, but Adam was crying. Adam was crying. He said, this is how me and my children should eat. We should sit down next to the animals of the world and eat grass like that. Zalgu enaf ma'at. When he heard those words, ve'achalta et esev hasadeh. Hashem told him, you're going to eat from the grass. When Adam showed Hashem that he appreciated his neshama and that he's not a behemah, how can he eat with an animal? The next pasuk says, okay. Beze'at apecha tochalecha. That was the next pasuk. After he told him, you're going to eat the grass, 
Next pasuk went somewhere else. That's what the Gemara is saying. Hashem told him, eat grass. And then he tells him, eat bread. That's not grass. Says the Gemara, there's something in between those pasukim. That Adam was crying. How could he eat grass with the animals? Hashem told him, okay, you're right. You're going to eat bread. He felt a little better after that. And the truth is, Gemara needs explanation because as we mentioned a few classes ago, if you remember, that eating grass is tremendous wealth. Eating grass is free. It means you don't have to work for your food. Eating grass means you don't have to cook. You don't have to buy cookbooks. You don't have to spend time in the kitchen. Eating grass means wherever you go, you have food. So easy. So simple. And that time spent on working, on cooking, on shopping, all that precious time spent, Adam Harishon could have used that time for much holier things. Adam Harishon was a big man. The Gemara says he was a Hasid, he was a great man. He understood the value of time. So why did he reject the grass? It's true. It's kavod. Not so nice to eat with the animals. But at the same time, you save yourself a lot of time, a lot of effort. And you could spend that time doing a lot of great things. You could learn more. Do more mitzvot. Help more people. Adam says, no, I'd rather work. I'd rather work. You'd rather work? Really? You'd rather travel three months out of the year? You'd rather sit in the kitchen for four hours? You'd rather work and give up on precious life just so you shouldn't have the lack of kavod of eating with your cow? There's a great lesson here. And this could be even... I don't know more, but just as important as the first one. That a person has to value who he is. Adam Arishan says, my children are going to feel like a behemoth. But, but they'll save hours and days and years of their life doing so. Big deal. So no. If you don't know the value of who you are and what you have, then it's all not worth it. Adam says, I'd rather work and spend hours and days and years. Just, he gave up, imagine. Imagine how much accomplishment he gave up for him and his children. Just for one thing, that they should know that they're not a behemoth. Adam says, I'll do anything. I'll work day and night. I'll give up on greatness in my spirituality. But my children should never think they're just an upgraded animal. Because if you think you're an animal, you begin to eat like an animal. You begin to live like an animal. And if you eat with the animal, you feel like an animal. Hashem says, I got you. You're going to get a different diet. So your children, besides the food that they're eating is not kosher, it affects your neshama, besides all that, forget that department, a new department. 
you have to feel special. That was Adam Harishon. That was Selim Elohim over Behemah. That's what happened from Adam Harishon till Matan Torah. Till Matan Torah, humans had to feel like humans. They're not Behemot. You can't eat in the same place as Behemah. You can't eat in the same restaurant as an animal. You're not an animal. Know your value. More is expected of you. Imagine you see a little baby, a little child playing with the, with the hazir. That's what you're doing. You know what you're capable of? But when it came to Yetziat Mitzrayim, something happened very similar. Hashem says, Beni Bechori Yisrael. Go tell Par'ah, my firstborn, Yisrael. Hashem says to us, you can no longer eat in the same restaurant as every other Tzelem Elohim. The same way Tzelem Elohim, the same way humans cannot eat with Behemoth because they have to know their value. A Yehudi who has a Neshama of Hashem inside of him cannot eat with another Tzelem Elohim. Because if you eat in the same restaurant as that guy, then you've lost your value. And losing your value and who you are may be more detrimental than the food itself. The food is pretty bad, but losing who you are and what, what makes you special and what makes you different and what makes you great by sitting next to another person. You're the same. You have the same mission. You have the same job. You have the same responsibility. Is that what you think of yourself? That's why Hashem gave us the laws of kashrut. That's what, it's, that's what Adam HaRishon was crying for his children. And Hashem did the same thing for us when we left Mitzrayim. By the way, in Mitzrayim, there was a very big Hidush that maybe you don't know. You've heard of Korbanot. You've heard of sacrifices. Do you know that sacrifices have been brought from Adam HaRishon. Adam HaRishon brought sacrifices. Cain and Hevel brought sacrifices. Noah brought sacrifices. Like the Pasuk says, Vaya'al olot bamizbeah. Noah, after he got out of the Teva, he brought Korban. Which Korban did he bring? Korban Ola. You know what Korban Ola is? It goes all up to Hashem. All of it. Every korban that was brought from Adam Arishon was a korban Ola. Who would dare to eat from the korban that you're giving to God? You build a mizbeah and you bring a sacrifice. You're going to eat that? Even the goyim knew. That's not. You can't do that. You can't eat from the korban. How could you eat from the korban? That's kadosh. 
That's all. That's God. You know what happened in Mitzrayim? For the first time in history, Hashem says, bring the Korban Pesach. But I want you to eat it. For the first time in history, where a human was given a Korban that was given to God Himself. Hashem says, You eat from that Korban. Because you're my son. And the Kiddushah that I have, you have. The Korban Pesach, if you ever wonder what's so special about it, that's what's special about it. It gave Am Yisrael clear, not just words, but action. You are Kadosh. And you could eat from the Korban that is meant for me. That was the first time in history that a human would consume of a Korban Lashem. Zot Ha-Haya. Zot Ha-Haya. This is your Hayim. This is your elevation. This is who you are. This is your honor. And this is how we feed our Neshama and we feed our identity as Am Yisrael. There's something else called Hayim in the Torah. I don't know if you're aware. You've heard this pasuk before. Mi ha'ish ha'hafetz hayim. Who is the one that wants life? What kind of question is that? Everyone wants life. No, no. David is saying, who wants life? Who wants a higher life? He says, Ohev yamim. You know what yamim means? That you love every minute of your life. Probably didn't happen to you. You love every minute of your life. Ohev yamim. That's life of simcha. Ohev yamim. Lir otov. And all you see is good in your life. What a life that is. Could you imagine what kind of hayim is that? Ohev yamim, you love every single moment of every day of your life, and you only see good in your life. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? So how do you get that, says David Amelah? How do you get it? Netzor mera. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. We spoke today for a long time about what comes into your mouth. But the only other place that Hayim is mentioned is when it comes to what comes out of your mouth. You speak negative of people, you trash people, you embarrass people, you speak Lashon Hara, Motsi Shemra, you won't feel anything physically. You cracked a joke and hurt somebody, you spoke about somebody, he's not there to protect himself. Nothing happened to you. That's what you think. You think that by speaking negatively, nothing happens. Says David Melech, nothing happens. 
If you're not loving your life, if you're not seeing good, look at your words. And if you say, my words, what does that have to do with anything? I'll leave you off with this. This is, I'm really leaving off this. The Zohar HaKadosh says, you have to know the Zohar HaKadosh. I wish I could read it and learn it with you inside, but I'm going to give you in summary. Said is the Zohar, Man deba'e hayim ele'ela. Someone who wants an elevated life, the one that we're talking about today. That he wants to be that. Yintar pume, watch your mouth. Says the Zohar, watch your mouth from what you put in it. And watch your mouth from what comes out of it. Says Rabit Sadoka Kohen, when we slaughter an animal, we have to cut the food pipe and the windpipe. How do we kill an animal? How do we take the hayim of an animal? There's a food pipe coming down and a windpipe coming down. When you cut them, you took the life. Says Rabbi Sadok, the windpipe and the food pipe are the siman, they're the signs of life. That's in the physical world. Try to, try to cut the food the windpipe out of somebody, God forbid. It's done. Can't live without a food pipe. Without a windpipe and a food pipe. That's basic physical life. Everything physical has a spiritual nimshal. You know what the life of the neshama comes from? From the food pipe. The food that you eat, just like the food gives you physical life, says Rabbi Tzadok, it gives you spiritual life. And the air, when you talk, that comes out of the windpipe, that's coming directly from your neshama. When I talk to you right now, it's my neshama using the air to say the words. So if I don't say the right words, my neshama is getting directly affected and infected. The siman of life in the physical world is the food pipe and the windpipe. And the same simanim are for life in the spiritual world. It's the food that comes in and the words that come out. This is the preparation of emunah. What value does classes on emunah or books on emuna or thoughts of emuna have when the very place of emuna is not well, when the neshama is being fed the wrong things and speaking the wrong way? How emuna can have any value? And that's why today, before we even start the subject of emuna, before we start getting into all the details and what and what not, the keli, the vessel, has to be there first. 
And the vessel is called a healthy neshama. And a healthy neshama needs a good diet and a good person who knows how to use his mouth and what comes out of it. Be'ezrat Hashem, this will be our work to prepare ourselves for the next step of emunah that we will continue to study. Baruch Allah Amen Amen. Thank you.